This week on the podcast, we're featuring Los Angeles Angels slugger and surefire Hall of Famer Albert Pujols. He made headlines recently as rumors swirled that the 2021 season would be his last, but those were quickly walked back. And now Pujols is talking about playing until he surpasses the 700 home run threshold, joining Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds as the club's only members. During our time together, the three-time MVP opened up about his tough upbringing in the Dominican Republic. You'd have to bring him home drunk. Probably that's why I haven't touched. Uh, you know, I don't drink and I don't smoke. Like, I don't do any of that. His faith-driven approach throughout his career. I thank God for that talent and this platform that he has given me. And his contentious departure from the St. Louis Cardinals. The last thing that I which I would never do for anybody, is getting on my knee and begging them. In the back half of the interview, we hear from Pujols' friend, teammate, and fellow three-time MVP Mike Trout, plus the head of Pujols' family foundation, Todd Perry. But first, a quick shout-out to iTunes reviewer Lutso Fun for the recent five-star review last week. Just a reminder, the ratings and reviews help us out a ton. Now, to Albert Pujols. I want to take you back to when you were growing up. Um, rough upbringing. It's remarkable how much success you've been able to have given where you came from. Um, I want to go back to when you were three. Your parents get divorced and your mom um, decides to leave and doesn't come back. What do you know uh, about that? It wasn't like she left and just like whatever. I was raised by my grandma, you know, my dad's mom. And I think it was better for me to be with my dad than with my mom, you know? Why? because the, the, the economy, like better, you know, it was gonna be, my dad probably would have, he was gonna give me a better education. I mean, bringing food for me every day and, and stuff like that. Like we were in a better position at that time than where my mother was. And I think that's, uh, that's how I look back. But um, you know, that, that doesn't change the love that I have for my dad and that doesn't change the love that I have for my mom. Um, I think, uh, you know, no child wants to be, you know, separate from their mom and dad. Like they, they, you know, they want their dad and their mom to, to be together. But sometimes, you know, you go through those things. But uh, I think that didn't stop the plan that the Lord has in my life. How do you think it affected you not having your mom around early on? You know, it wasn't like she never came around. She, you know, she, she, she came around. She came around, you know, once and. You know, when I was like five, six, eight years old, like I would have spent the weekend with her. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, you always regret things that can happen. But if I had to go back and I had to do it again, I mean, you wanted better things, but you know, I don't regret anything because he has made me who I am today. So uh, your dad had a day job as a painter, played softball as well. To what extent are those some of your earliest Yes. Uh, memories on the ball field with your dad. Yes, it was fun because they used to have double hitter, you know, every weekend pretty much. And I, I would have grabbed the glove sometime. You know, I was five, six years old grabbing the glove, and my dad was a pitcher, one of the best softball pitcher uh, in the DR. And uh, I remember he pitched the first game, and I would have asked him like, Dad, can you hit me some ground? Like he was be so tired, sweating, and uh, he would have hit me ground balls, you know, and like I'll be in shortstop. Uh, taking ground balls from hand, like in between games, you know, you only had like a 20 minute break. But it's stuff like that, you know, it was uh, it was fun time. Work, I understand, was kind of scarce. And to what extent would he have to leave for periods of time looking for steady work? 
Yeah, it was tough. It was tough, but the sometime when he would have worked in the city, you know, um, I would uh, go with him, you know, during the weekend or, or after school and try to help him out. Like, I mean, I'll be coming home, you know, I was like probably 11 or 12 years old, 10 years old, like just, just helping them out as much as I could and spending time. I'm the only child that my dad had, so I'm like, I like the, the, the price, like the, the, everything at that time that he did, it was just for me, for me and nobody else. And uh, even to this day, right now, you know, so I, I really have a great relationship with him and I thank him so much because he was the one that pushed me to get better uh, in this game and he was always around. You've been pretty open about this. I think when you're like nine, ten years old after games, he was known to have a few drinks and you'd have to bring him home drunk. Um, how do you think that impacted you? Uh, I mean, it was hard, but I think, you know, like I say, that didn't change anything. You know, it was part of, hey, when you go to a baseball game, you know, and, and you on the weekend and hang out and play self. I mean, you know, people have extra drink, whatever, and, you know, but I think, you know, it was something that helped me in, in, in my life, and probably that's why I haven't touched, you know, knocking wood. Uh, you know, I don't drink and I don't smoke, like I don't do any of that. Do you, you know? think that's why? That's probably why I haven't, you know, choose that. Like I never tried to have alcohol. I don't have any problem with that, but like I, that doesn't drive me, you know? And that might be the impact, you know, seeing my dad like that, but. Because I read a quote you gave where uh, you remembered thinking then that if you had a son, you wanted to make sure that yeah. he, he wasn't having to yeah, to do that, to do yeah. that. But at the end of the day, I think that that didn't change anything. You know, my I think my dad. Besides that, he was the perfect dad. You know, he's still per the perfect dad for me, because uh, he was always there and gave me the love that I needed, um, the shoes that I needed for baseball, the food that I needed, like everything that I needed. My dad was always there giving it to me. Your dad's mom, your grandma, America. Um, how would you best explain the role that she played in your life? Awesome. She, I was, I was her baby. Uh, she protected me with everything. Even when I got in trouble and my dad or my grandpa wanted to spank me, like she was always, even to this day right now, like, you know, nobody can say anything around her about me. Like she, she just a, a pressure, pressure woman. And obviously she had a rough life herself. She had to raise 10 kids, you know, with my grandpa and uh, had a rough, you know, had a rough too. But, uh, you know, it's just like everybody, man. If you wanna, if you want to reach your goal or, or be somebody, you have to work hard for, you know? And she never took any easy path. What do you think you learned from her? She loved to help people. Like, I remember my dad or even my grandma, like, giving food to the neighbors, you know, when they didn't have to. And they did just help the neighbors out, you know? And when it wasn't like, like they had a lot to give. No, right. and they were trying to help. And then my grandma was the same way and my grandpa. So I think that was really easy for me to learn that. And I saw that as a little boy. And it's like, it was automatic, you know, for me to, to if I see some, a knee somewhere, I'm going after. Because I believe that at the end of the day, God has given me so much. I can't take anything with me. You learn that and, and you become, you know, who you become and, and you always 
there's this one quote, you never forget where you come from. Why decide to move to the U.S.? Uh, my dad and myself, we were the last one, 1996. Uh, they came to the United States, but that's, it wasn't, it wasn't like I shoes. It was like, that's where my family yeah. was coming. And, uh, you know, and it was to, to give us a better life. Tell about the shooting you saw. That was part yeah, of the reason was reality. you decided to move from New York to yeah, Independence, part of that. Missouri. No, it was, it was tough. I mean, you're talking about I'm 16 years old and seeing that, I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, but, you know, it was a long time ago, sometime I, I think about it, but I don't, you know, I don't even remember all the details. After you and your father uh, moved to Independence, uh, Missouri, I understand you felt lonely. Mm -hmm. um, how so? It was hard, bro, because, you know, going to high school, you know, I was like a year and a half from graduating down in the Dominican, and now you come into the United States, and now you had to kind of repeat, you know, uh, you know, going to school and repeat the class, and because at that time I didn't know any English, so it was it was hard. But I'm one of those guys, man, that if it's something drive me to, I go after, and I go after hard. So I I knew that I needed to learn the language, uh, to be able to communicate, to be able to take classes by myself, man. And I started taking classes with Mrs. Tanky, who was my English teacher. And she, she didn't know any Spanish. I didn't know any English. Well, I, I love and that your your uh, English teacher who's supposed to be tutoring yeah, you in this. In and the it was, and it was like, but you know what, bro? It took three months, man, and I went after and and three months. It was, you know, I I really I really learned how to communicate. When you're a kid, you can pick it up things really quick. So I don't know. I, I'm really smart when it comes to that. Like I, I have a, I memorize things really good. I mean, and, and all that stuff, and it was, she put a lot of work into uh, to help me out and because she knew how hard I wanted to learn the language. And it was challenge, man. It was challenge uh, being in school and, you know, I know a lot of people were laughing at me because I didn't were know they? the language. Yeah, and you know what, but it's it just, you know, we are kids, man, and going to high school, it happens in every high school, you know? How much did they make fun of you? A lot, but. You know what, I had a good friend of mine up to right now, Chris Franca. He, he was in the baseball team, and he helped me, he helped me out along the way too. So that, that kind of like environment with those, with my friends in high school also helped me out, you know, to learn the language. How often did you have proper baseball equipment growing up? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never, I had a borrow from my neighbor. I had to pay five bucks, you know, to one of my friends to let me borrow the glove. I understand. Or you I had to take it from my dad, and I had, to, I had to be created, you know, and play with milk. <laughs> How would you do it? You get the cardboard, obviously, you smash it down, and you would have, you know, obviously put a hole on top after you smash it down. So you open it in the side, open a big crack, and then on top, you just open a hole, and that's, that's where your finger goes. So you just kind of grab it like this. And, you know, I would have played catch with that. Class A ball, there's a bench-clearing brawl. How painful was the $100 fine that you got? Really painful, because when you were making $252 with 52 cents, I think, is, and you take a $100 fine, you know? And then you have uh, your wife in an apartment, you know, with, you know, getting ready to give birth to AJ, 
my second one, Hambela. Uh, it was tough, but uh, you know what? At that time, dude, if I had to pay it again, I pay because you you were sticking up for your team. Why did uh, your wife Didi want to declare bankruptcy, and um, why did you talk her out of it? Well, uh, I just talk her out of it because I believe you know you you have to be cocky, and you know uh, when I got drafted, I I knew that I knew that I had talent to play in this level. So when that time came, I I knew that if if I put all that work and I put things together, um, so I told her to give me time, to give me let me go play, give me time, and, and then don't do it. How would you explain the difference when all of a sudden you're then making the major league minimum salary and how life changing that was? You know everything happens so quick. You know to get drafted, to go to uh, you know internationally, then full year in 2000, uh, and then minorly in Peoria. And then from there, get called to able uh, high A, Potomac, and then triple A, you know, and be one of the heroes in triple, in triple A to hit the walk-off home to send the team to the World Series. Bro, you would have given me, like, in a script or a blank paper and read that down. I'm like, write that down. I don't think I, I can't even put it. That's the whole story together. So, and then the next year in 2001, you know, get invited to the spring training, and I wasn't even supposed to play or even get any of our bats. And making the ball club that year, too, it was, it was unbelievable. So, it just, things happened so quick in my life that it wasn't even time for me to think about it. But just play the game the way you know how to play the game. I was just enjoying that I was in the big leagues. And, and, Having guys like Mike Martini, um, Placido Polanco, J.D. Drew, Woody Williams, Daryl Kyle, uh, Mark McGuire, I mean, Gene Emmons. Having those guys kind of took me under the wing and showed me, listen, kid, you belong here. Just play your game. You belong here. Man, it was, it was just a fun summer. And on top of that, you know, winning Rookie of the Year, I mean, it was amazing. How difficult is it to maintain the same level of motivation now as opposed to when you were coming up and had yet to achieve any of the success? Still the same, man. The same motivation that I had since I was in the minor league, the same motivation I had since before I even signed, same motivation. And then my family, you know, they motivate me every day. I can tell you that even through the injuries and through the stuff that I gone through since I left St. Louis, has been hard with all that. But I really, there's no one moment that comes to my head and say, you know, I'm just, I'm just done, I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving. I mean, I get sick and tired of being hurt and having surgery, but like, I still enjoy the game. I love it. I love to come to the ballpark early because remember, I still am wearing a uniform that I represent and I respect. And I also, I have a lot of young players, they're looking up to me and they're like observing how I, how I kind of do things around. How much time do you spend each day on game day watching videos? You know, back then we used to have the VCR, so you had yeah. to wait until you get to the stadium to do that. But now the technology has advanced so much that you can even watch the, the picture on your phone and your iPad. And uh, when I wake up in the morning, I you know, take the kids to school if they're in school, and then I come home, have breakfast, uh, you know, and I'm watching the, the picture that I'm facing, 
and the, the whole bullpen. And, you know, it's just so easy right now with technology that you don't have to go to the ballpark. You can just watch it at home. And by the time you get to the ballpark, you just do whatever you have to do, whether it's treatment, whether it's getting a cut top or hot top to get ready to go get loose and do the little routine that I did this morning. That's kind of the same routine that I do the season before game. I understand you always have a plan going into an at-bat. Well, you, you, you have a plan. That's why you do the scouting and you have a plan uh, how you want to approach the pitcher. You know, he throwing the sinker or his best pitch is a curve or stuff like that. Or this is how he pitched to me last time I faced him. Uh, he has success. Now I need to make an adjustment because this game is about, just like every sport, it's about making an adjustment, especially more in baseball because you got so many scouting uh, scouts scouting the game that maybe you're playing Oakland the next day and we play in Seattle and they their scouts understand that they're ready. You know, when you go to Oakland, they're going to have that scouting report against you. So, and then if you didn't have a good success in that series or vice versa, if you had a success, they're going to try to pitch you different. So um, it's always kind of like, it's hard to describe because I don't want to give my secrets, but it's, it's more like, you know, you have to be ready to make an adjustment even after you, even during the your bats, because they probably are not pitching you the way that you thought that they were going to pitch to you. And you're aware of an umpire's, uh, like, strike zone going into, a, a, you know, a particular game as well. Like, if an umpire has a wide strike zone or tight strike zone. Yeah, or, you yeah. look at that, but you okay. cannot control that. Okay. Those guys want to be the best. Okay. So I don't, I, don't, I don't judge those guys, the umpires. I think if it's up to me, mm -hmm. uh, I would love for them to, to just foul, foul, fair, yeah. fair. I, right. You know, take this, the instant replay out and just, hey, let's go back to old style, you know, how this guy, let the umpire have, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Right. But as long as there are a million cameras now, no, gonna... then it's not going to go back. So your first 11 seasons with the Cardinals, I mean, best 11 seasons in the history of baseball, um, you come to the Angels, obviously drop off in productivity. What do you think accounts for that and how challenging was that for you personally? Well, I think, uh, you know, as you know, the injuries, I mean, I... I save, I guess, all the injuries that I didn't have in St. Louis <laughs> for this team, you know. But I know um, that comes with age, though, too. Right? Yeah, I mean. but it's it's just you know you adjust yourself to your program. I think that the hardest part was that same year I had a right away lower half problem, which my stents are really unique and it require a lot of my legs. Uh, and I had a obviously right hand, I mean right leg surgery, knee surgery, and then from there it was just man, it was just one after another. Then you had the plantar fasciitis, you had a foot surgery, and it was like everything the lower half. And I don't care how great a hitter you are, you can be the best player in the game in my trial right now. If he started having problem with that lower half, it just it just switch, it just change your swing. So I had it now kind of rim bent a swing where you know I can take that stress out of my leg and uh, you know to try to perform but then still driving a hundred run and hitting 30 bombs. You know what did what help us win is scoring runs and driving runs and I think I'm a I'm an elite producer when it comes to that. I was talking to Tony La Russa the other day your longtime manager with the Cardinals and he said 
People don't give Albert enough credit for the injuries he's like played through. And uh, Mike Trout actually said the same thing and that people didn't realize. I mean, at some points you've basically been hitting on one leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm gonna say this because there's so many people that say it there, but they're like, bro, what you have accomplished even in one leg over the year, like there's, there's nobody else that I don't think it can do it. Simply due to age though, um, like what's that realization process like for you that physically you might be less able of doing the things that your brain's telling your body to do? See, but when you train to a level that I train, like you don't think like that. I probably all in baseball because I'm 39, but I'm, I'm young in life, I feel strong. I, I take care of my body really well. I train really hard. I don't, I don't overdo. Uh, things, uh, I listen to my body a lot, and you know what, if you can do that, then you put all that together, and all you can do is take it out there in the field. Of course, I understand that the programs had to change, but the same attitude, and just tweak little things here and, here and there with, with my trainer, uh, we've done that, and I feel really good about myself. The hardest part of transitioning leagues for you was what? For me, it was the travel, bro. Um, being in the Central in St. Louis, it's like you bounce Cincinnati, Milwaukee. I think the farthest trip, it was uh, Houston, which it was like hour and 45 minutes. Man, and when you come here out west, my first year, man, and I didn't re realize this until somebody told me about it. But bro, you had about 20 more thousand miles than what I was traveling in St. Louis. Wow. Flying, 20 more thousand miles flying. and. That month of April, I ain't lying to you, I felt like it was September. And I was in one of the best shape ever. But I felt like I was a, like it was September. The league, they pitch you a little bit different, but you get, you get adjusted to that. But to me, the challenging part was, you know, the changing time, the three hours different, going from the east to west and had to play the next day knowing that now you have to travel at 10 o'clock in the morning and your day off and you don't have a full day off. Like you get into the city and you just barely have time to eat and then go to bed. You know, it's tough like that. I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, the steroid era um, yeah. because it was, you know, like the tail end of it when you were coming into the league. What impact positive and negative do you think it had on the game of baseball? Hey, listen, I think, you know, that the best thing is the Major League Baseball created a program that nobody can sneak it anymore. I mean, you see all the suspension and they're going hard at it. They knew that there's an issue, there was an issue uh, happening in our gang and they cleaned all that up. Um, but like I say, I mean, I, I don't judge people. I think, you know, you make your own decision and if you choose to do something that you can know uh, uh, by leaving our league, hey, you're gonna get penalized. But obviously we know there's a problem, but Major League Baseball has done a great yeah. job. It was like uh, thir 34 years between 60 home run seasons, Ruth to Maris, uh, 37 years, Maris to McGuire. And then there were six 60 home run seasons during a three year period beginning in 1998. There were like uh, three players who had achieved 60 home runs in a season in the whole history of baseball prior to 2002. And then that number triples to nine uh, from then. Like, how do you view numbers that were put up during that era? 
You know what, bro? You still have to hit that baseball. So, I mean, it's hard because I haven't seen those people doing it. I mean, you can look and say, oh, this guy, this guy. But you know what? At the end of the day, man, it's, I go back where my job is, you know, the same love that God showed me every day and my family. I had to love those people too, and they're human. So they, they made their choice, they made their mistake, you know. One of my best friends who I respect, Robinson Cano, I was the first one to call and I said, listen, man, I love you. Our relationship is not gonna change, I'm here for you. You made a mistake, bro, and you're gonna have to clean it up, you know. I had, listen, the guy made a mistake. That doesn't mean that the guy is a bad person. And I, I respect Robinson, I, re, I respect his game, you know. Hey, listen, he made, a, he made a mistake, he made a mistake, you know, but I don't want to turn my back on him, you know, and that could be in any, any, anybody else, you know, because that's the same thing that, that you need to look at, the love that the, the guy has for me is the same love that he has for him, and, you know, he got his suspension, he lost a lot of money. So guys taking that chance and they go, they know that they're going to get cut. At the end of the day, I go back to where Major League Baseball has done a great job and the Player Association made sure that, that they put in a great program and, you, you know, to clean our gang and it's happening. For what it's worth, there were three years where in the MVP race, you finished only behind people that were alleged to have taken PEDs, so. See, but that, yeah. that said, they, they think that they are mm -hmm. taking, right. but they haven't proved, you know, uh, until you don't have the proof, you can speculate and say that this guy maybe, this guy maybe, maybe. But when you have the proof in your hand, that's when you can blame somebody and say, you know what, this guy, I had that, you know, but. If, if you, you knew they had, would it bother you? I don't, you know, bro, I, <laughs> there's no one moment that I look back and say, I wish this, or I wish I have enjoyed my career since day one. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful and grateful for what I have accomplished Right. in my career and in my life, that there's no regret, there's not a war that I wish I would have won. I have accomplished pretty much everything. Everything that a baseball player can accomplish, thanks to my king, Jesus, you know, they have given me this platform and the ability, and after him, my family, and my teammates and coaches, they have helped, have helped me along the way. So that's how I can put it to you. Explain the role that faith plays in your life. Oh, everything, everything, you know, uh, God is, uh, God is everything to me. He has shown me his mercy, his grace, and the best gift that he has given me is salvation. You know, when I got to, uh, you know, accepting in my life, uh, you know, and knowing that I have eternal life through him, a personal relationship with him. It's not about being a Christian. It's not about uh, being, it's not about religious. It's about having a personal relationship with Christ. So that doesn't make me perfect. You know, I have learned the hard way. I may have made mistakes, but knowing that when I come to him, he doesn't judge us. He doesn't look at us, you know, and be mad at us. He, he receives us with love. And I have learned so much, you know, in my life about how to treat other people the same way that Christ loves, uh, you know, and I believe at the end of the day or at the end of my career, that's, that's going to be the most important thing for me, you know. Yes, the legacy of base, being a baseball player and great, all that, that's great, man. But being a strong Christian who serve the community. And when I'm 
facing him or being with him, like that he can look at me and say, what have you done with the gift that I give you? The gift is now the $300 million that I make in the game, the three MVP, the World Series. That's not the gift. The platform, that's not the gift. It's that Bible, man, that Bible. That's the gift that he has given me, you know, his word, so I can spread it and talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's, that's my job. It took me a while to learn it, but I'm at the point that I'm gonna quit now. And we have, you know, our chapel this morning and, and I'm telling those young guys, you know, because we were talking about creation, you know, and you know, how God has created everything. And I told them, you know, about the last creation that he made, it was us. The Lord made us in his image. And then what he did after that, he rest. So he said the best thing for last, and it was to give us life and his image. What do you remember from the first time you went to church with your wife, Didi? Oh, I remember, you know, at that time, my English was so, so, so I still had to wear, you know, airpiece uh, during service so, so I can get translated in Spanish. So I pretty much just, you know, start asking questions and, and uh, you know, and there was like two weeks go by and I said, hey, babe, you know, what is it when the pastor at the end of the survey, he made the article uh, and say that this are the prayer of salvation, you know, to give the life to Christ. And she pretty much explained to me about it. She was like, listen, they're, I'm going to keep it real simple to you because you probably won't understand, but there's a hell and there's a heaven. And I told her, I'm like, well, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> So the week after that, we went back to church and Pastor Jeff Adam Grieve, great, great servant, Kansas City Baptist Temple in Kansas City. And he, and he touched me and touched me. And I think, you know, after the service, he did the same thing. And I just woke up with her and surrounded myself to the king and just have him take control of my life. Uh, and that means what? Just accepting, that you accepting uh, as you lower that you accept him, that you know that he died on that cross for our sin, that he took everybody's sin, you know, upon hanging that cross. And then you know that, that, that he gave you that eternal life. And through that, uh, I had learned along my way. And I was a young believer back then, but like having guys like J.D. Drew, Wooden William, Mark Martini, like the way that those guys were handling their life it was more than just going to church. You know, you can see Christ in them, like you can see the, the joy. And I was a young believer, I was like, you're still going to church, but man, you know, I think it was after 2001, 2002, being in St. Louis, a Christian family day, that they asked me to share my testimony and I didn't know what to share. And I think that's where my turning point was, man, that it was like more than just going to church and do, do your duty. It was a ha about having a personal relationship with him, uh, you know, with Christ. There was more than just the religious. And, you know, and uh, it's been great. And, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but I know that, that I, I won't change a thing. I understand in 2006, when you won the World Series with the Cardinals, it wasn't the World Series, it was the highlight of your year, but rather flying back on a plane with a teammate and, leading him to Christ? Yeah, my good little brother, Yadiel Molina. 
we were in San Diego and uh, recording was, I see recording by the window, I see Jari and uh, Miro, and then I sit over here and we left him to the Lord to accept him, to accept Christ. That means that you need to turn, you know, uh, from your sins and, and take, let the Lord take control and just share with him, you know, the things, uh, uh, you know, that God has done in my life and he has seen it and just the, the way that I handle myself. Like I say, it doesn't make me perfect. You know, I have made mistakes many, many times, but knowing that, you know, well, I have somebody that got my back all the time and, and that loves me like nobody else on this earth. And then when you pull him before your family, before your wife, before your career, you know, like that's the guy that I love. The most satisfying moment from your career would be what? Oh man, winning that trophy, you know? You know, besides getting to the big leagues, <laughs> accomplish that, that championship, you know, be able to raise that trophy in 2006. I want to talk to you about some notable moments from your career. Only Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Alex Rodriguez has ever achieved 2,000 RBIs. Um, what does that mean to you? It's just when you name those three guys to put myself in that list, it's, uh, it's pretty special. But that's not my that's not my target. That's not that's not what I'm playing this game for. Uh, I'm playing this game to try to win a championship and to try to make everybody around me better. Because if I can do that, they're gonna make me better. I'm aware of the list that I'm around and that I have accomplished. But I I really have separate those things, you know, uh, until I probably done playing the game. You've past 3,000 hits now. Uh, you're also past 600 home runs. I was talking to your teammate, Mike Trout, who's really, um, since you, the only other person ever to start a career on as much of a tear. Um, and he said it's the 600 home run milestone that sticks out the most to him, just being there for that. Take me through that at bat. No, it was great, man, uh, playing Minnesota, and it was a Saturday night game. We were, preaching, we were facing Irving Santana. The 600, man, I really want to do it with, I want to do it in my stadium. I want the fans to celebrate, not just in Anaheim, but across, across the United States, which everybody celebrates. Everybody knows me from friends and family. They have supported my career. They have enjoyed every moment. And they have cried, too, every strikeout and hurt that I've been through all this year. But it was a slider. Uh, he got me one, two, and he threw me a slider, kind of hanging, and I just probably put the best swing of the night and did it in style, you know, with a grand slam. Game five, uh, 2005 National League Championship Series, ninth inning, playing the Astros. They only need one more out to go to the World Series. Uh, <laughs> Cardinals are down two, and you're up. Take me through what you recall. As you know, uh, it was in their stadium and it was so loud and it was great rival because the year before we beat them for us to go to the World Series and we back in the NLCS again uh, within at their stadium. They're ready to pop champagne. You look at the dugout and there were a couple of players like, you know, like celebrating and, and I felt it in my gut. Like, I f you know, when you feel something that you're going to do something special or the you're asking the Lord to put you in the situation, and then now you're feeling it, and you are in that situation. And there was something in my guy was telling you, you better be ready, you're gonna hit. 
and I sprint, man, across the diamond and put that glove down my hat, boom, 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 my batting glove, grab my helmet, and sit down. And every time we go to Houston, I sit down in the same spot because it reminds me that moment. And I just sit in there and I knew, man, I knew that I was gonna get that at bat. I didn't know that I was gonna do anything special like that. That was extra bonus. But I knew that I, what I was asking, I was gonna get it. So after Jimmy walked, I knew that Brad Lech was gonna go to his best pitch, which it was the slider. And he threw me that first pitch, and I think I swung it, it was one in the dirt. And after that, like, I knew I had it. Next pitch was another slider hanging, man. And once again, just like the 600, you know, the rest of history. I hit it out of the ballpark. I know a lot of people talk about that home run. For, for me, it was just another home run because we didn't accomplish what we wanted to. And that was to win uh, the series, to go to the World Series. And, and they did. So they deserve all that credit. I talked to your longtime manager, Tony LaRusso, the other day, and he said, First, I have to say, if Albert was going to go anywhere besides the Cardinals, there's no better place to go yes. than working for Angels owner Artie Moreno. Yes. But he said he was, quote, most bummed because if I would have stayed on another year, I believe Albert and the DeWitts, meaning Cardinals ownership, would have come to some accommodation, meaning well. agreement. Your reaction <laughs> to that? That's when I really realized that it's about business, this game. I believe that I made the right decision. I believe that Artie Moreno and Carroll wanted me really bad because they weren't even in that picture. I remember Artie and Carroll, they were at the movie theater and he came out to talk to me 30 minutes after I was done with my prayer and say, we want you, this is what we got. And I made a decision that night, you know? I talked to my wife and, you know, I didn't want to wait another day. I wanted a really have a peaceful Christmas. Right. I didn't want to have to wait after the year. And I'm really grateful. Listen, I thank the DeWitt. They gave me an opportunity. It was, uh, you know, most of my best memory years in St. Louis with the fans and, and great teammates, great team. I still root for them. I uh, watch every game that I came sometime when I'm on the West Coast, rooting for them, rooting for those guys. Have a lot of respect for that organization. I have a lot of respect for for the Hall of Famers that that come to the stadium and go to spring training, uh, so I don't have uh, anything bad to say about them. It just it didn't work out for them. It didn't work out for me. And then you know I'm happy where I am. Today. It was a cool story about Artie Moreno trying to recruit you. I mean he stepped out of the movie theater, was talking to your agent Danny Lozano, um, and he's like, no, I want to get Albert on the phone now, yeah. you know, as opposed to waiting for Dan to call him back with you. Um, but look, I, I mean, I, I've talked to enough people close to you now that, that I know leaving the Cardinals was a painful process oh, yeah. for you. You, I mean, you walk I don't want to lie to you. It was, man. I mean, you, I, I, I mean, mean you, half of you, you live pretty much. I mean, you in that city, I mean, in the fence and, and great, you know, and, Yes, uh, you, your dream is to try only finish with one uniform, you know, and be the debtor jitter and this and that. But you know what, man? This game has changed. And uh, it was in the process, you know, that we ended up winning a World Series. And they had their opportunity in 2008, 2009. I ended up winning back-to-back -back MVP. So they had their first crack. They had their first shot. You know, they, we could have done something 
long time ago before I hit a free agent, you know, but they decided to wait it until I was a free agent, and, and that was their choice. And correct me if I'm wrong, you walk off the field game seven after winning the World Series, and the Cardinals basically never even call you. Yeah, it took a while. Why do you think that was reflecting back on it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad I get this opportunity to clarify because the fans in St. Louis think there's all about the money that I came to the Angels. I'm like, if you do the math, I came to California and I'm going to make less money than if I were to stay with the Cardinals. Like, you know, because of task purpose and everything. And I had another team that were offering me a lot. A lot. I mean, like a big, big contract. The and, Marlins, right? Yeah. And I didn't. And I wasn't, I didn't want to go, you know, like I didn't feel well, like I, that, that wasn't in my heart. Because I was, I remember I got on my knee and I asked the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I have done everything that's in my hands. Now it's take control because I can't handle this anymore. This back and forth talking and promising and this and that. Nothing was moving and man, 30 minutes later, I got that call from Artie and just, that was the confirmation you know, from God, I believe. And listen, I, I can look back my career right now and with the injuries that I have, man, it's probably the best move that I made uh, in my career. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you would have taken substantially less money to stay with the Cardinals. Um, the issue with you is the long-term commitment. Well, I think that was the thing, you know, as the DeWitt and Mo and they were saying, they want me to be a long-time Cardinals and I felt that you know, the, the approach that they took wasn't showing me that they want me to be a long-time Cardinal. The Cardinals held off on addressing an extension until before Albert's final season. He reportedly declined their nine-year offer and negotiations were put on hold until after the season, at which point the team offered five years, $130 million, infuriating Pujols with the reduced term. He later declined a subsequent offer from the Cardinals, accepting 10 years and $240 million from the Angels. I must say that that was uh, one of the hardest off-seasons I personally have had. We made a robust offer. You know, it took uh, twists and turns, and to have an iconic player like that be a lifetime Cardinal would have been really special. But at some point, you know, you can only do so much. When you were in it, though, at that time, when you had yet to make a decision, how was it affecting you, the process? Oh, I, was, I got to the point where I, was, I got frustrated. And I'm, I called Danny, and I told him, I'm done, dude. Like, this is, this is, this is the best that I, you know, that I... The, the, well, I mean, I, the last thing that I, which I would never do for anybody, is getting on my knee and begging them, you know, and that was the last thing that I, that I have, and I wasn't going to do that. I don't want to humiliate myself like that. I'd imagine your wife was the first person you told of what you oh, she were was wanting in to room. do. She was actually in bed, and I had to wake her up and tell her. She was really upset because, you know, she really wanted to, just like me and myself, we wanted to be in St. Louis, but she was happy that after meeting uh, Artie and Carol Moreno, uh, you know, the decision and the, the commitment mm -hmm. that they make to our family, uh, you know, you had to respect that. Dee Dee, tough, tough lady. I understand. I, and I actually yeah, heard she, she, the next she was day. more frustrated. Oh yeah, than she you. was. She uh, was. Like she went what? out there the next day or the next week and talk about it. And I know people got mad at in St. Louis, and 
Just like every wife, they're gonna defend their husband. Obviously, whatever me and the Cardinal went through, uh, those things are private, but we know, and he knows, God knows, <laughs> the things that went down. And I know a lot of people uh, wanted to throw rocks and wanted to were burning jersey and when, you know, because that's their reaction. And I, I feel sad for those people that, that react that way. But you know what, I look at it and I'm like, they probably weren't my true fans. Because if, 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 if they love me because I was wearing a Cardinals uniform, then that was the wrong motive. Because they should love Arbor Pujols, not just because he was a, a decent player, but also the things that I've done in the community and be a great man. Like, that is more important than just whatever I have accomplished in the field. Didi, what do you think made you guys connect? Uh, I don't know, the love that we have for each other and then, you know, too after she explained to me, because that was the first time that I heard about the Down syndrome uh, situation. And, you know, I fell in love with my little girl. Uh, what do you think made you lean in to a situation like that as opposed to, you know, running the other way? Because, you know, here she is, you know, you're on one of your early few dates, I think, and she <laughs> says, by the way, I have a daughter with Down syndrome who's only weeks old. Well, I've, if I had to say right now, knowing what I know through Christ, it's like that was the Lord's plan that he has for me. And I would have to say that it was meant to be, man. We were meant to be to be connected. And, you know, it's, it's been great. So you have five kids now. Biggest challenge with having five kids? Like, kind of understand their personality, you know. Uh, it's really challenging and knowing, you know, what they like. Uh, you know, they've been kind of, I won't say living in my shadow, but like this, you know, being traveling for 20 years and, you know, the job that Daz does and, you know, he's obviously a, a famous baseball players, um, you know, just all that, like to explain to them all that stuff and you say, hey, listen, you, you just be you, just be you and and try to, especially with AJ, I remember my biggest challenge with him, he wanted to be a baseball player so bad, but I, I, I think it kind of got to him. He was a great player and, uh, you know, he was a good little player and it was kind of like he felt that pressure, you know, that he wants to be as good as that and he wants to and it kind of got to him. And I remember the time that he told me, Dad, I don't want to play baseball. Um, I wanted to play golf. And it was like, thank you, Lord, you know, because I saw that release on him that, that it was getting, baseball was getting to him. And now he is a great golfer. He wants to go pro. I told him that he has to work hard. And then, you know, just, but I think the biggest thing is just find their their personality and, and support them on everything. They, you know, I could easily say, no, AJ, you want to be, you need to be a baseball player. You need to be like, no, I'm not that kind of dad, man. It's whatever sport they choose. One thing that we know, that we don't bounce them from sport to sport. They had to choose one thing, you know, and that's something that we've done since he'll, they've been young. Um, how do you find the balance between making sure you provide your children with all the opportunities you never had? Mm-hmm without spoiling going overboard them, to dampen them. the motivation. Yeah, yeah. well, they, they, they understand. I think uh, uh, Dita and I, they, we, we explain them. We had talks with them. They, they see how mom and dad, uh, you know, kind of 
live their lifestyle and uh, they, they understand uh, really well to this point. So, um, you know, and then the best thing is as, as, a, uh, as a dad, you just make sure you open, you know, you want your kids to know they, their mom and dad are the, their best friend. And, you know, if there's any problem that they go through, hey, come to that and communicate. Communication is huge, especially with your kids at a young age. Mike Trout, um, what impresses you about him? Best players in the game. <laughs> it's just amazing. Young kid who wants to get better, which is scary. Really humble, great teammate, comes from a great family, and has the same heart that I have, and wants to win, just like I want to win. So uh, we always talk about it. I'm like, dude, I wish you, can you imagine if it, me and you together in my prime time and you now in your prime time, like how scary, we, like we, we joke around like that, you know? But uh, it's pretty special and I'm thankful and blessed to wear the same uniform that my Trout's wearing. He talked to me a lot yesterday about the role that you played in mentoring him when he first came into the league because your first year with the Angels was, you know, his first year with the Angels. In what ways were you trying to uh, mentor him? Uh, the same way, you know, just probably when he was putting a little bit of pressure on himself or, or you know, try to do too much and just stuff like that, take it under your wing. Just the same way the guys were, took me under the wing, you know, and just, just help him out with pitching or approach and talk about hitting. Just treat him the same way that I have treated everybody that make that ball club since till then. It's like, listen, you belong here. You're just not a clue. You belong here, and you're going to help us to win. And that's the same way, man. And Trouty is uh, it's a really, really, besides being a great player, like a great athlete, just a fun person, man. He's just a great, great kid, and I enjoy it. You know, really smiling every day. And, man, he, even, he plays against the right way. Even the foul ball he runs, you know, it's just a play the right way. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. And, I would tell my grandkids when he's in the, you know, in the Hall of Fame, uh, uh, getting into the Hall of Fame, like I play with that kid. I play with him and, and I mentor him a little bit and, and bless and hopefully me and him can accomplish what we want and it's a trophy. As I mentioned at the top, we also caught up with Mike Trout, who's statistically the greatest player in the game over the last decade. There are plenty of other players on the team, obviously. What do you think led to the two of you guys becoming close friends? Yeah, I just, um, you know, I always, you know, looked up to a lot of people. And I've, I've you know, I was a big Jeter fan growing up, the, the championships, the, the leadership. And, you know, I saw that in Albert and, you know, you didn't even have to know him. You could just see it on the field as his actions, um, the leadership. And, you know, I, I wanted to pick his brain because I knew he, he, he did it. He goes, he goes his business the right way. And, um, you know, he's helped me out tremendously. What do you guys like doing away from the field together? Uh, we golf a lot. We, uh, you know, go to dinner and stuff. Um, What's a typical dinner conversation entail? Uh, we mess around. We joke with each other. You know, we're, it's every, everything's a competition with me and Albert. You know, if we're you know, golfing or something closest to the pin, every 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 hole, you know, this shot, you know, who can hit the ball farther. It might be just a, you know, throw the ball in a bucket, who can make it. It's little stuff and, you know, everything's a competition and we, we enjoy it. It's, it's a good time. What do you remember from his time with the Cardinals before you entered the big league? Yeah, I mean, he couldn't get out. Um, you know, I, as, a, as a hitter, you look at that, the, the, the numbers he's put up and he did put up and, 
Yeah, it just seemed like every day you turn on ESPN, you see Albert's name on the hot headlines and MLB Network. It's, um, you know, it's, it's special. He's special. I was talking to Tony LaRusso yesterday, and he was saying, you know, a lot of people don't give Albert credit for having played with injuries, and at times he's been hitting basically on one, one leg. leg. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's that like for you watching him, you know, go through the injuries? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it makes you, f- f- you see that as a teammate, and you respect that. The guy goes out there, you, you know he's, he's battling injuries, and he's still willing to go out there and perform for his team. I know a couple of times where he could have easily said, look, I'm, you know, I got I to gotta shut down, I got to get this thing right, and uh, you know, he doesn't. He respects everything about this game. He, he wants to be out there uh, with his teammates. He's not, he thinks that if he's not on the field, he's letting his teammates down, and you know, we see that as a, as a, as a teammate, as a person. You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a team guy, so. What do you think you've most learned from him? Just being, um, you know, a great person. You know, obviously, you know how humble he is. Um, you know, the the accolades, the, the Hall of Fame career, and uh, you know he's still the same Albert. He's got the same routine since I've been here. Um, keeps the same composure, um, and he respects his teammates. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, and you've said before that he's helped a lot with in-game adjustments oh, yeah. with regards to you. In what way? Yeah, no, um, you know, he he's. He sees he's unbelievable, like analyzing the swing. Um, you know, when he used to hit, when he hit behind me, um, you know, I'd take a swing, I'd foul it off, and I'd look behind me, he'd start whistling at me, and he'd tell me, you know, hey, maybe think more right center, or maybe you know, try to pull this one, and you know, the next pitch, I'll, I'll get a hit, and be because you listen. Yeah, I, of course, you, you got to listen to him. He he, he knows, um, you know, more about hitting than you know a lot of people that I've met, and probably the most about hitting because. He, uh, he's been done that. He's done everything in this game that, you know, as a young player coming up, he's got answers to. Um, when it's all said and done for him, how will you view his career? I mean, one of the best. You know, Hall of Fame, obviously it's a lock. Um, just, you know, like I said before, you know, the, the, uh, the baseball statistics are off the charts, but um, you know, like I said, the, the person he is, you know, off the field, you know, sticks out tremendously to me. And just what a great teammate, you know. I can come in, you know, joke around with him. You know, we can, we go out to battle every day. As we near the end, I'll leave you with conversations I had with Pujols and separately with the head of his foundation, Todd Perry, as they both discuss the foundation's work in the Dominican Republic. What's also worth noting here is Pujols' continued commitment to children with Down syndrome in St. Louis. It's a program he, of course, started during his time with the Cardinals, and it's still thriving a decade later. Why did you decide to create your foundation in the first place? I remember Todd Perry, you know, who he came in 2004, I believe, uh, you know, to me and Deidre and kind of present the whole project, you know, and at that time, I don't think we were ready for to start it, but uh, it took us about a whole year, you know, to think about it and to process. And I, I believe that that was the, the right time. That's when God really put that in our heart, you know. I had um, um, just put together a proposal for them. You know, this is really what you should do and this is how you should do it as far as, you know, putting together a, a charitable trust or, or a foundation. And um, I saw him like a year later at church and, and it's like, hey, you know, let's get together and talk about this. So fast forward to you're sitting with him at his kitchen table. What are you guys talking about? Sitting at the table, he was really asking the right questions. He was asking the the things that, you know, because I, 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 felt, I felt the connection between Albert and the mission. And I think that's one of the things that 
happens within celebrity nonprofits is, is they do it for, for a number of different reasons. There's nothing wrong with that. But with Albert and Didi, uh, this was coming from a very genuine place. Albert grew up in poverty in the Dominican Republic. So hearing their heart to help these people and genuinely help these people through his platform, that was, I mean, that really was the basic topic of the conversation and the foundation of the foundation that we created sitting there at the kitchen table that day. When you've been to the Dominican, uh, what have you seen in terms of when you've gone in to the varying areas to help? I mean, you're talking about people sleeping in, in, in the floor. You know, then one year we decide uh, we donated close to 300, 400 mattress and bed. That was one of the projects that we did because we saw that. I mean, you, you were talking about like places that you, not even a, a puppy or a dog you wanted to sleep. I mean, uh, another project, you know, that we've done is, uh, is that baseball, Bate Baseball, you know, where uh, we have different talents come out of that, out of there, you know, uh, and just give them the hope that they're probably weren't looking. We brought, I believe, a couple of kids already to the United States uh, where one of them had to have uh, heart surgery, another one we saved their leg uh, with cancer. I mean, just different challenge, man, but with the support of so many people, not just in St. Louis, but around the country. I don't think we will be able to, to, to reach this goal. I love going to the Dominican Republic with Albert because there is, and, and I talk about this all the time, and it's something that, that happens when he's with the kids with Down syndrome. It's something that happens when he's in the Dominican Republic. And that is, there is a light that comes on, and this light shines out of him, and it's, it's just, and it sounds corny and, and trite, but it's true. I mean, there is something that happens in him where this joy just kind of resonates out of him. I mean, I've seen him take kids, you know, in these bates, the slums of the Dominican Republic. They have lice and they have parasites. And, you know, he he just grab them up in his arms and love them like he, they're, they're his own kids. And I, I just, you know, when you consider with his resources what he could be doing, in the off season, which is pretty much anything. But what he chooses to do is to go, and, and, and most of these people are Haitian immigrants. Um, they're, I mean, the Dominican Republic will tell you in some of these bates, they, they don't even exist. And that the fact that Albert comes and he serves the least of these, it really is, I mean, it truly is a remarkable statement on his integrity and his character as a human being. What have you done there over the years together? The, the Pools Family Foundation, um, we, we have medical teams that we take to the Dominican Republic. And those teams consist of doctors and dentists and pediatricians and um, optometry. We have a full pharmacy that we bring. Uh, we do HIV testing. I mean, it, it truly is um, a, a mobile medical unit that goes into the slums, into the bates of the Dominican Republic. And there are six bates that we serve um, primarily on that southeast side of the island. Where, around Santo Domingo where Albert grew up. So that's the medical mission side, but then there's a humanitarian side, which is uh, our new Congracia program, which allows people to, to, to sponsor kids. One of the things that we've learned is, you know, there, there are organizations, churches, that will say, oh, we're gonna send a bunch of people down and we're gonna paint an orphanage. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's what Americans do. We, we find practical ways to fix things. But I think from, from a practical standpoint, from an academic standpoint, if you look at, for instance, just an airfare alone, what you would spend to, to send people down to paint the orphanage, there are people, there are D Dominicans or Haitians in those villages 
that are painters that are unemployed. And just the airfare alone, you could feed their family for months. But I think as, as Americans, we see kind of the fix it explanation, which is, oh, well, we'll just get our, you know, we'll get our men's group or we'll get a, a people from the church to fly down and paint the orphanage. But I think that, you know, what we want to do is we want to really look at this from, from a nonprofit standpoint where we can, we can know that we make a difference and we can see that difference firsthand, but also from an academic standpoint that says, hey, is, is there a better solution to really serve these communities? And I think that's what Congracia does. It, it, it marries the two where we can, we can help people. We can, we can pour a floor in their home because when there's no sanitation and it rains, I mean, everything runs into your house. You gotta get people off the ground. So being able to pour a floor in a dirt floor hut, to be able to fix the roof, to be able to give them an opportunity to get their GED or get an opportunity for, um, for continued education. That's, what, that's the, the, the path that we want to start now to really make a significant difference in the lives of the people we serve. Long-term goals of the foundation would be what? The, the long-term goals are really where we started out before because honestly, I think about the proposal that I wrote back in 2004. Um, had it been under my, under my business plan, we'd be do, we would be doing 12 events a year. But the fact that it was God's business plan, we're doing 125 events a year. So when you say where we're going, I mean, that's really up to God because if I start, if I start mapping that, I'm, it's gonna be so much less than what God has planned for us. And that really is the, the foundation of the foundation is, is being obedient to where we're being led and also um, being awake as opportunities are presented to us to see that this is, this is the right place that we need to go in the future. I was so amazed how much uh, just within the few years, uh, the foundation was growing. I mean, within a year, we were making mission trips down to the Dominican Republic, you know, uh, treating, you know, between 1,500 and, and 3,000 people, uh, giving food. And then just different programs that we have set, not just in Nabate, but different other area. And, uh, you know, my dream and my goal is continue to, to try to that platform that we already have set in this community in Bate Aleman kind of take it to the other ones because there is different uh, areas in the Dominican Republic that need help. Uh, and I think that's, that's what's gonna take this to the next level in the Dominican Republic. To see footage of Pujol serving those in need back in his native Dominican Republic, plus to watch a trip we take with Pujols to the batting cages, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. Thanks again for listening.